You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings, these are a few of my favorite things. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs, these are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things And then I don't feel so bad Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens Paper packages tied up with strings These are a few of my favorite things Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings These are a few of my favorite things In white dresses with blue satin sashes Snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes Silver white winters that melt into springs These are a few of my favorite things When the dog bites, when the bee stings When I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things Good evening, and welcome to Morph Mom Moments. What an exciting night. I have an amazing co-host, my cousin, Kathy, and an amazing guest, the well-known, best-selling author, David King. This is a very exciting night um, for me for a number of reasons. I think I'm a history buff and a former prosecutor, so everything about his most recent book is exciting to me. Uh, the, the book is called The Trial of Adolf Hitler, The Beer Hall Putsch, and the Rise of Nazi Germany. Um, before we go to David, I just want to give those of you joining us tonight just a very quick introduction of what you've gotten yourselves into, turning on the Morph Mom Moments radio show. Um, I'm Kathleen. I started Morph Mom, which is M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M, about five years ago, and which ties into tonight. The reason I started Morph Mom was I had been a prosecutor for many years, always thought that's what I would do. I left to raise my kids, and 14 years went by way too quickly, and I thought, of course I can go back. Well, that wasn't exactly the case, so I could not go right back, um, and I didn't know what to do, so I decided rather than reinvent the wheel, I was going to go out and find other women and see how they did it, what they were doing, and ask them two things, play it, pay it forward, 
tell their stories, their journeys, the good and the bad, but also tell specific steps that they took so that if someone watched that video, they'd feel like they'd made a friend, but they also had maybe four or five specific steps written down on a piece of paper that would then encourage them to take the next step and go out and try something. Um, Following that first year, over the course of the past five years, I now write for Huffington Post. I'm a contributor editor. We have a column that shares the stories. Um, I host cocktail parties around the country. Uh, I have this radio show, which is so fun. We have classes, and uh, all the information is on morphmom.com if you're interested. And we just recently celebrated our first inaugural non-conference, and our next one is coming back to New York City on October 23rd. And for the details, again, go to morphmom.com, and you can register, and I promise it's a day of fun, lots of panels, lots of different topics, and connecting with others. Now, most importantly, we want to connect with our guest tonight. Um, again, I'm thrilled and honored to have best-selling author David King on the show tonight, uh, most recently the author of The Trial of Adolf Hitler, The Beer Hall Putsch, and The Rise of Nazi Germany. David, thank you so much for joining us. Wow, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It, it's so fascinating. As I said, I'm sl- history, buff, history buff slash um, trial courtroom geek. So the whole thing is very excited, exciting to us. So tell us a little bit about yourself first before we get into this. Well, I, um, I, I'm a writer, a full-time writer. Uh, I used to teach history. I love history. I've loved history for as long as I can remember. And I used to teach history at the University of Kentucky and loved it. Um, Just about everything about it except grading papers. I could not, I did not like that. And I just kind of lucked into writing. I I didn't even know you could do this. Just had some really good luck. And and now now I've been doing that full time for about 10 years, a little more than 10 years now. But um, so I'm still doing the history, but just doing it a different way in books instead of in the classroom. Did you always think you'd go into writing, or was that something that sort of evolved following your teaching Oh, oh no, I, I didn't even know you could do this. I mean, <laughs> I, I love reading. I, I, I love reading, and I, I thought, and I remember when I met somebody who wrote a book as a professor, I said, wow, you've written a book. I mean, I was just, I thought that was the coolest thing. And, but I didn't really, I never really thought of it. I didn't even know you could, I, got, I had really good luck. I was, I lived in England, and um, had a beer with a professor. And he was telling me, he said, what are you working on? And he, I told him at the time, he's like, you know, publishers like that. And I was like, what? Um, because I, I have heard the opposite. People, I, mean, I remember going to one talk, it's at Cambridge, and a, the, a professor came in and said, you know, none of you are, you know, we have to sell 400 books to break even, and none of you are working on anything that's ever going to come close to that. That was the kind of uh, feedback I had been giving. I was like, oh, wow, that was depressing. Really? So, <laughs> yeah, so this guy gave me, he's like, people like it. Oh, interesting. So that really opened my eyes, and so I just, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I, so, <laughs> so that guy changed my life, just to, you know, just to, you know, maybe an offhand comment over a beer. And I was like, well, huh, interesting. It's so, <laughs> and did you know the topic you would start with? You, I guess, did you always think you'd go right to some a historical book? Well, I, I, um, I always loved history, and I was, um, so I kind of started off with the history, and then the book was, just like a good fortune to, I mean, a good, you know, good luck to, 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 to be able to do it that way too. And I, I've, it's always been European history because that's, that's what I, I, I read for, you know, I, I read all over the place, but I love, I love Europe, love uh, traveling in Europe and love reading about it. So I, I, I tend to get drawn to that. 
so interesting. And what about that era? Is World War II, like the the Nazi, the, the Hitler era, was that of interest to you? Or did you start sort of researching and think, wow, this would be a good topic to write about? Well, yeah, World War Two is, oh, that's, I, I, I mean, that, that's, uh, I'm always blown away by World War II. I mean, it's just, there's a universe. I mean, it's like a whole other universe, I think, when I get into World War Two, I really think, I, I, I mean, I've I liked it. I liked the movies as a kid or, you know, uh, playing soldiers or whatever. But I think when I was teaching it, I started realizing, you know, how much, how little I really knew mm-hmm. about it. And there's just so much more. I think in our lifetime, there are always going to be books by Hitler. And there will be new things, um, as long as they're publishers, as long as there's, uh, you know, readers. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, there's just new things all the time. I couldn't believe how much new there was on Hitler. We had new files even. I mean, I was just, I, I couldn't believe it. And so you know, my last book before this had took place during World War II, and so I've had two two now. I mean, this one's a little bit before World War II, 1920s, but you know, we have Hitler and Himmler, a lot of the people, a lot of the major people World War II for the Nazis, but they're young now. This is before they get big in this book. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could stay, I would stay in World War II for as long as they let me. <laughs> but, but, but there are other things too, though, so that's the only problem. There are other things that, well, hmm, well yeah, I'd say the same for Napoleon, I love the Napoleonic age. David, this is Kathy. I'm wondering. Oh, hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> hello. Hi. Uh, just wondering, in terms of um, this whole era with with the Nazi Party and and Hitler, and how this um, one event sort of started the launch of the party. What what was surprising to you about what you what you learned about that that event? Oh yeah. Well, I, I think the very first surprise. Uh, was on me almost immediately. I, I could not believe there'd never been a book on the trial. That was the first thing to hit me. I, I originally thought I, I would write about the beer hall putsch, you know, just that Hitler storms into the beer hall, fires a gun in the air, says the national revolution has broken out, and, you know, he ends up getting arrested. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a bluff, and he gets arrested. But I thought I'd write about that because it's, you know, 1920s, and it's Germany, they lost the war, the currency was going crazy, the country's in chaos. It looked like the end of capitalism fascinating time and then as I got into it I realized there'd never been a book on the trial out of all the books on Hitler and I have a room in my library full of books uh, on Hitler I mean um, it's kind of just people come in and take pictures it's kind of like oh okay (laughs) my friends all come in and take pictures of all these Hitler books I'm like oh that's a little disconcerting I guess but but they get the wrong idea but I uh, I, I mean it's I could believe never been and the trial is huge for Hitler it's a I mean you know, it's one of the many things in his life. I mean, it's. I think there's just so much of Hitler. You know, the, the Holocaust, just the World War Two. There's the dictatorships. So things like the trial kind of fall in the shadows. So I guess that's why they've never been. But that, that was the first surprise. I was like, wow, huh? How old was he when it happened? He's uh, 34, and he he will turn 35 in the book in prison, and um, and he has all these visitors will come. They'll bring gifts. They'll bring. Uh, flowers. I mean, he gains weight in prison. I mean, because he's uh, he eats very well. I mean, we have like we have like new we have new files. I mean, like from the wow. prison, you could recreate his time at Landsberg prison more than ever before. I mean, it's incredible. It's like everybody who visited him. We got all the cards. They were discovered in the flea market when I was d- d- during the research process. They were discovered, and then they Germany changed the law so they wouldn't leave the country. So they were able. So the archive was able to buy it. Otherwise, a foreigner. 
you know, maybe an American or a British or some other collector may come in and just swoop them up. Right. So they changed the law so that wouldn't happen. So Germany Archive got it, and that was great because that means, you know, it's available for researchers to, to look at. Otherwise, you know, somebody may have bought them and just, you know, locked them up at home somewhere. How did you start? So you decided this is what you were going to write about. Where do you begin? Do you fly to Germany? Like, how does that process even begin when it's a historical book like this? With, and I'm guessing um, without that without that many resources to go to. Yeah, I, I, I like to, um, I, I will start out, and I will, I will try to read everything I can that's been published first. And I'll start with English. I'll start with the, the books in English. So what if you just, if you read everything in English that you can, what would you know? I want to know what that is. And then I'll, go, I'll, then I'll go to the German or the French, depending on, you know, they're, they're, they're actually not a lot of French biographies on Hitler. Or, 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 but I did that. You know, you had to go back. I felt like, what was he like? I found one, like, from 1930. So I read that in French. And uh, some Swedish biographies. Also, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in Sweden, so I read some Swedish stuff. So, so I'll, then, I'll, then I'll, after I feel like I got a handle on uh, what we know or think we know, then I start digging deeper. And, and the archives are my favorite part going to Munich in this case and just get a hold of the papers and and I mean the, the trial transcript I mean my first worry was like you know there's never been a book maybe the sources are terrible maybe there aren't any sources maybe they're boring or maybe right. and that was my first fear and then but the transcript is 3,000 almost 3,000 pages you know verbatim original you know uh, German and it's Hitler on the stand he's talking and it's not Hitler running Germany, running the Third Reich. It's Hitler as a defendant fighting for his life. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he, could, he should have gone to prison. Um, he was guilty. He admits it. He admits it on and the stand? Yes, yes, he admits it. It's, I mean, this is, like, this is another thing that surprised me about the trial. I mean, I could not, the authorities had him. They, uh, you know, they arrested him. Oh, we, we got the notes of the lady who hid Hitler in her attic. <laughs> while the police were chasing him. Handwritten notes, unpublished. But, so the authorities had him, and the law was on their side. I mean, he committed high treason. He admitted it. He bragged about it. He said, I did it. But he twists it. He says, I, I, I did what you said, but you cannot commit treason against the traitors. And the traitors, that's the government. You know, because Germany lost the, the war. They, they lost the monarchy. They overthrew the monarchy. They had a Republican. And so Hitler's just attacking the Republic. And um, so he's, so I, that was, you know, just uh, really, um, you know, I mean, this was a moment when you know, history, you know, they, they had him, and if they just followed the law, he'd been locked up for a long time. And then another law said he should have been deported. He's not German. He's Austrian. So we could have avoided everything there. Everything could have been avoided. The whole future, the whole history, uh, the whole landscape of what what happened because of of his reign could have been avoided. Maybe. I know. Okay. I mean, I mean, that was astonishing. Thought. I was like, wow. The, they they had it. They had it. He admits it, and the judge just slaps his wrist. And when he committed the the crime in the beer hall, he was on parole. Oh my God. So it's like it, it, that does not come out in the trial. Really? The judge, yeah, it comes out afterwards. I mean, it's like, whoa. I mean, the, the trial at the time, they know it's a sensation. I mean, the media's covered it like crazy because it's a big deal in Germany. I mean, Americans, uh, New York Times, who, by the way, said this is the end of Hitler after the putsch, as a lot of people said this is the end of Hitler and the Nazis. And you know, it should have been. I mean, And somehow it, 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 right. it empowered them. It, it, it energized it. Is that right? 
Yes, yes, because he, he's so he, he, they lost 20 people had died in the putsch, you know, 16 of his followers and four you know, police. And Hitler is depressed. He's at the prison. You can see when people visit him. You can go, you know, I've tried to read, you know, read a, a lot of sources, you know, memoirs or letters describing visits to Hitler. And he's really depressed. He's on a hunger strike. He thinks his career's over. And at the trial, it, you know, he starts getting, you know, rejuvenate he's, he's talking you know, the judge lets him speak and talking is what he did you know, that, that was his thing was to talk and um, the media is you know Germany France Switzerland Australia Argentina all over reporting it in great detail and I mean, you can even see how Hitler they're, they're misspelling his name at first <laughs> it's like Hitler with two T's or Bond Hitler and so he's not very well known was but yeah was the media somewhat sympathetic to him? And how did the media represent him on the stand? Oh, I, I, I that was one of my favorite things was like reading all these uh, because the you know the transcript you know three thousand pages, but you know by the nature of it, it's you know it's just the words. But the yeah. journalists, you could, they really helped figure out. Okay, here's how Hitler would hold himself. Here's how his voice sounded. It's a lot deeper than what we think. It's, you know, he's not he's not shrieking. He's kind of you know. It's, or the way he would dress, or he would, um, you know, the way he would he would kiss the hands of uh, women when he would meet them, in the, walking into the room. He's Austrian, you know, so things like that that you would not find in the transcript. And so, a lot of people, like the left and the center, they were they were very interesting because they were very critical of him. You know, they're like, "Wow, this guy is a good speaker," but you know, you, you notice he's um, that one guy said so he sounds like a a charlatan, you know, hawking his goods on the, you know, on the, the street corner, or, um, but the, but the right um, is, is is really starting to see him as this sort of national hero, um, as a martyr, standing up for the people, and, and the German people had it really bad in 1923 when the beer hall putsch was, and still 24 when the trial is. Do you think in any way? I mean, I guess apropos, you know, to what everyone says today, how media can sort of. In, you know, can influence sort of the direction they take something. I, I'm just curious. I mean, this could be totally a crazy question, but do you think in any way maybe the German media who were sympathetic to him in any way could have sort of influenced the direction he was going or influenced the perception that the Germans had of Hitler at the time as sort of this, you know, standing up for Germany against the treacherous new, I don't know, do you think in any way they could have represented it that way? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I, I think, I think in some, I mean, the like the, the like the Berlin's, like the socialist papers and the Berlin communist papers, the French communists, they were you know, very, very critical, and you know they they, they, they were right. saying this is a scandal from the from the from the day from day one. They were like, cause they, and then um, the, the right was in some ways. But I, I would see things that they would say, and I. That's interesting because I've read that in Mein Kampf, you know, the the right. the, the, uh, the book you know that he writes when he's in prison, which he you know, I, it's hard to imagine Hitler sitting down writing a book if he weren't in prison because he didn't have the discipline, you know, he if he gave speeches he'd be working, he wouldn't have time to sit down and collect his thoughts. As he, but anyway, I, some things I would see because there there were a couple right wing papers because after the putsch, the Nazi Party was banned, and they they I, I got the police records where they go in and they start seizing the property of the place and you know they scatter the Nazis scatter try to leave the country so they don't get arrested 
and uh, the party newspaper um, is goes underground, and a couple other right wing papers replace it, and and you can see those and really there to help Hitler and the, the public image of Hitler during the trial, and so you can see how I mean they're really building him up, and 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 Hitler starts getting a lot of attention too because he's he starts telling people why things are so bad. I mean, mm-hmm. why the government has failed them, why Berlin, what Berlin's doing wrong, and, you know, we didn't lose the war, it's the, you know, we were stabbed in the back. And because, you know, Germany, you know, they, they lost the war, but it's so heavily censored. The right. people knew, they knew the victories, but the defeats, not so much. So the, the defeat came as, as a shock, and the peace treaty even more so. And so Hitler's up there just really, you know, hitting the government hard. And, of course, it's the Republic that had to sign the peace treaty when they came in. It wasn't the monarchy. The monarchy was gone. So they have a couple strikes against the Republic. You know, they, they, they come in just in time to sign this hated peace treaty. And so Hitler is just going, you know, going off on the Republic. And, 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 and so you have this Republic, you know, it's getting more and more extreme. People going left, people going to the right, and the senators having trouble holding out, and and people are listening. I mean, to and Hitler's really wooing the left too, so it's uh, he's trying to. Is he's he trying to? Is he trying to almost portray himself? Sort of, he's the martyr of, like he's sort of. It, it, when you read the transcript and you read the the news coverage of it, is that how do you, you think he met, might have started to attract more attention coming across as the martyr of this? Like he did what he did to you know, represent the German people? I, I don't know. Was it ever, did it ever sound like that? Or did he come less as a martyr and more as like a, I'm, I'm going to fight the fight? Yeah, well, he, he's, he's definitely presenting himself as a martyr. And he, the way he's able to do it, it's, it, this really plays into his hands at the trial. Because at the putsch, when he, when, he, when, he, when he marches into the beer hall back in November 23, he marches in, uh, the leader of the, uh, Bavaria is giving a speech and he, he goes in and he basically seizes them by gunpoint and, and he, he makes them go off to a side room and they come back out and they say they will join Hitler for the revolution and then the, the, and the government kind of turns on him I mean, we don't, you know, they, they, decide, they decide not to do it and so Hitler um, will portray the, the leaders of Bavaria as stabbing him and you know they were going to go um they really betrayed the real Germans because the real Germans were trying to need to stand up against the Republic. Right. So that's kind of, I mean, so he will, and he will say, you know, had, uh, the leader's name is Carr, Gustav von Carr. He said, had, you know, had he just done what he said he would do, you know, we would have, uh, overthrown those, uh, traitors in Berlin and, you know, put Germany on the road to, you know, get back as it was. Um, you know, Germany, Germany was a new country at this time. It was only like 50 years old at the time of the trial and had a spectacular growth before the war. I mean, just like economically, military. So he's going to try to make, you know, bring Germany back to that. And he's, and he's, he presents himself um, as being a martyr, being like a victim, um, you know, stabbed in the back, so to speak. So and, what, what? You know, he's kind of, it's, um, you know, he's, can't trust. I mean, he's, he's lying like crazy on the stage. I mean, I mean, on, you know, it is like a stage. I mean, on stand. I mean, the truth is like a stage. But he's, you can catch him over and over. I mean, he's just, um, you know, he has a lot to, 
Like, for example, he says the Nazi Party is a movement of millions. Um, well, you could see the police records where they, the police, when they ran into the office, and uh, you know, they, they were trying to get hold of the files. And I found a letter of the, um, the guy who hid the files from the police, and there were 55,787 members. Really? And Hitler's like, oh, yeah, at that time, in, in November 23. Wow. And 55,787. And Hitler's talking about a movement of millions. So, you know, it's a little bit of exaggeration. But <laughs> so, so did part of that exaggeration help, um, you know, get interest from, from all the other uh, Germans? Uh, what, what resonated with them? What was his message that made them feel compelled to support his efforts? Well, yeah, they, 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 were, they were impressed by that. You know, he, he says he turned this movement from a handful of men in a back room <laughs> It's the movement of millions. The Nazi Party was never a party; it's a movement. According to Hitler, he liked to use, he liked to call it a movement. It sounds more dynamic than just a regular party. You know, parties are they're corrupt, and uh, and so he. But you know how he's um, like the, like the Germans. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like why a lot of people why he was the, the trial really helped me understand. You know, we we know Hitler's dangerous, but this really helped me see how dangerous he. He really was. I mean, he's not just a shrieking madman. I mean, he, he does he does rant and do that, but you know, he's across the room. He's he's speaking, and in some ways, I think he's more frightening, more dangerous when he's uh, like right here when he's just like across the room talking. Because, like, if you take just an example, like uh, the German currency before World War One, um, it was four marks for a dollar. After World War One, 1918, it's double. It's like eight to one, and then it gets down. Um, you know, it falls. You know, it's uh, twelve. It's a hundred to one. It's five hundred to one. It's a thousand to one. Ten thousand to one. A million to one. Wow. Hundred million to one. <laughs> Eight hundred million to one. It keeps going. It, it, it falls to like six trillion marks to one dollar in 1923. Um, so it. It's like four. It's like like four trillion at the time of the beer hall butch. So you save your whole life, and you know, cabbage at the Munich market cost ten to twelve billion marks. So that would have bought you a you know incredible right. uh, you know you know you save your whole life and you can't buy coffee with that money. I mean, it's worthless. When, so I didn't mean to interrupt. But when he was on the stand. And I, I'm guessing. So, was he representing himself? Well, he, he did have a lawyer. Oh, he did. Um, he, he did. He, he, um, his lawyer's not paid, actually. Seems, or at least according to the lawyer, he, he's not paid till like about ten years later. <laughs> uh, and Hitler's complaining about the high fees. <laughs> so, I, I think the lawyer's probably right <laughs> because I haven't seen him complain. You know, when Hitler's uh, when Hitler's trying to negotiate a car from prison, he wants to buy like a new Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, he got these wonderful letters from this, and uh, and uh, he. Um, he's complaining about the legal fees, but, he, but yeah, he has a lawyer. He, but he 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 just talks and talks and gives speeches and and Ger- German law is a little. I mean, you're allowed to question the witnesses. You could pretty much ask any you know you can ask questions to other people. So you have a lot of fireworks and people will storm out of the courtroom. <laughs> and it's, it's it's pretty chaotic. I mean, the, the the prosecutor has a really tough time. I mean, the judge is just. Um, I mean, the prosecutor storms out at one time. I mean, because he's just <laughs> judged. Uh, <laughs> so when he's... Uh, hard when you get a difficult judge. 
<laughs> you know, I wonder if they looked. Do you think the judge was part of that fifty-five thousand member <laughs> Nazi group at the time? Well, you know, that was late, later on. He later on he, he I mean, the judge basically have to be later on when the Nazis come to power. But um, that's one thing. If you read like the Hitler biographies, all the best biographies, they talk about the judge as this nationalist who liked Hitler, pro Hitler. And all that, I think all that's true. But I think there's, well, there's another surprise. When I got into it, uh, I mean, I think all that's true. I don't want, I mean, but I think there's something else that's really motivating him um, beyond that. Um, I mean, I don't want to spoil it. I'll tell you if you want, but I don't want Basically, they have a lot to hide. There's a lot to hide. Uh, Bavaria has a lot to hide. Um, and the judge is <laughs> a difficult spot. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a catastrophe. I mean, I'm not defending the judge. It's a catastrophe, this trial. <laughs> don't just, don't spoil saying. your ending, though. Don't spoil your ending. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't but, wait. to. Re- I, I literally cannot wait. I'm like on the edge of my seat listening to everything you're saying right now. You're making oh, it come alive, oh. and you're making it very interesting and yeah. very relatable. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, David, now, you uh, we were only going to have a half an hour, so you have to tell me when it's time for you to go because I could keep asking you questions all night long um, so if you tell me so it's 7.30 now are you okay to talk a little bit more or do you have to, do you have to go to another interview no 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 no, no yeah okay so I have another question of course as we're doing this so when you read the transcript did it almost feel like that was the beginning of his like he was sort of using this as this platform so he was giving this this mil, you know the data of a million people supposed to 55,000 and and the, the how what was going on with the money and the currency and when you're reading it, did you almost get the feel like it had little to do with the trial and more to do with beginning his own rise to power and and what he was going to do that on and and what issues he was going to raise? I'm just curious, like if he because if he was allowed to sort of grandstand a little bit. Yeah, I you know what I one thing that I I, I try to do I, you know. Do, but my goal, I, I try to almost forget what we know is going to happen. I mean, you can't do that. You know, it's impossible. But I, I try to forget. Because one thing I always find it really exciting about, like, if I, if I, if I can do it, my goal is, is you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier being a story and looking back and, you know, seeing what happens afterwards. But but during the time, you know, it's hot. I mean, I, I think they would have been shocked to, you know, to see how things would have been. Like, I have a, this unpublished memoir from um, the deputy prosecutor and he, how he's describing, you know, he wrote it later. He's describing, you know, his first impressions with Hitler. He's not impressed. I mean, he's like, it doesn't seem very, it didn't seem very brilliant to him. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think that, that that's what they all are. I, you know, what's it like to, to be there at the time? I mean, it, and um, like, for example, that's, I, I, another this wasn't my idea, but another historian had a really good point. I thought he said that um, as far as like guessing, you know, if you were to go back in time, say to 1914, and say you were to go back in time and and you were to come across like say just go up to some Europeans that were well informed, intelligent people, and say, you know, during you know with, within your lifetime, there's going to be one country in Europe that's going to, you know, commit the Holocaust, you know, the, this horrific crime, you know, try to exterminate a people, and, I mean, just six million, which countries are going to be? And 
he's like, you know, a lot of people he thought would have, would have said France or Russia, but probably not Germany. And I think he's, I think there's, that's a good point there. I mean, because I mean, that was another thing that I thought was really interesting about this time. I mean, Munich was such a sophisticated culture place, and you know, at the time, I mean, it is poets and painters and dreamers and bohemians. I mean, Hitler went there to be a painter. He did. I mean, he's, also know that. Run, he's also running for the military. I mean, he's avoiding service in Austria, but he you know, he wanted to be a painter. And Munich goes from the city of Kadinsky and Klee to the city of Hitler and Himmler. And so was he was avoiding service in Austria, and that's why he went to Germany. That is <laughs> that, that seems to be that. almost certainly one of the things he's supposed to be military service. He, he almost like you might say like dodging the draft. I mean, he avoids it, and he doesn't want to fight for Austria too. He's like. He, I mean, he, he, he volunteers when he gets to Germany, when World War One comes out. But he was avoiding it in Austria, and they, they actually arrested him over this. That you know, that does not come out at the trial, but that is that why he was on that. parole. Well, well, that that was a different. Yeah, that was an incident. Twenty two was on parole. He attacks this guy giving a speech at a beer hall. Uh-oh. They, they, it's like a rival. Politician and his men come in. And they attack him, and he gets uh, he spends a little time in, in jail over that. Cra- crazy or passionate? What, what's that? <laughs> crazy or passionate? Oh yes, <laughs> but um, <laughs> both. But both. But, yeah, uh, but, like what they ask, like the Munich, the you know, That's the thing. You know, if it could happen to Munich, a sophisticated culture place like Munich could become this bastion of the right wing. I always thought, you know, who's safe? Right. It was, uh, so that was, I mean, it's, but yeah, you're right, it's hard to really, you know, read it without thinking what's, you know, the, the terrible, terrible history that's going to happen. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of depressing, because, you know, had they followed the law, Hitler would have been locked up or he would have been deported. When the Great Depression hit, he would have been gone. It's crazy. And for those of you joining us, we're on with best-selling author David King, and his most recent, we're discussing his most recent book, The Trial of Adolf Hitler, The Beer Hall Putsch and the Rise of Nazi Germany. And again, David, tell me when you have to go. I don't want to, I mean, I want to keep you, I want to keep talking about this, but you tell me when it's okay. Um, this is, so I have to share a little bit of why I am, first of all, I'm just, I love history to begin with. I love World War II, but specifically, my grandfather was a POW at Stalag 17 for two and a half years. So I, I'm very vested interest in the entire, how this all played out. So when my grandfather, his plane was shot down, and when it was shot down, I think it was Cary Grant, or I can't remember, some st- actor was in a uh, plane next to him, or Clark Gable. And Clark Gable went back and said, there's no way anybody survived. And so they called my grandmother, who was pregnant with my mom at the time, and said, you know, I'm sorry, there's there's no way anybody could have survived that. So for eight months... My grandmother was under the assumption he'd been killed. And then about, I guess it was eight months later, they showed up, the, the um, Red Cross showed up and said, we found him. Mike Fleming is a POW at Stalag 17. And so the rest is history. He was there for two and a half years. And anyway, so I'm sharing a little bit, but this is why my fascination of this time hits home a lot. Because when my, my grandfather did survive, and he's one of the few who survived Stalag 17. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and... So the stories, like even as a little kid hearing them, I can't get enough of all of this. Like just understanding just the entire, 
hearing this, like hearing what it was like seeing him before he rose and I don't know, I find this so fascinating and it's so nostalgic too, like thinking of my grandfather's stories and how it happened. So I, anyway, I love everything you've done for a number of reasons, clearly. Oh, oh wow, thank you. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a quite, quite a story. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's funny that... Eight, eight, eight months, eight months thinking, yeah. wow, can you imagine when, when the news came that he survived and wow. And I think a, my mom was like, you know, at that point, six six months old or like five whatever it was i don't remember but yeah she didn't she thought he was dead for eight months is that crazy and then they found him and then he tried to escape a bunch of times and he was shot and they sent the dogs after him and 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 i think it's in hogan's i think hogan's heroes right was based on stalag 17 and in the movie they show someone trying to escape through the sewer tank and my grandfather tried that and got like really really sick from it anyway so um and then stalag 17 i think actually portrays one of those things but anyway so this is also i have a huge fascination about this entire period a personal interest too yes mm-hmm. very s is kathy same thing um so when you 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 find all this stuff you find all these papers and you're you're researching of everything you came across during and, and by the way how long did it take you to do the research for this well uh i started full-time in 2012 and so um i was i mean by 2012 i decided okay this is what i wanted to do i was playing around poking around you know but but by then i was then i decided my last book came out 2011 so i kind of was looking around and thinking and then 2012 i decided and then so up until let's see it was that about close to let's see i i I always take as long as they will give me. Right. The contract, like, how long would you want? <laughs> okay, I will, uh, can I do three, four, five? You know, <laughs> I, I will take as long as they give me. I, I've never regretted asking for... How long were you in the ground, on the ground in Germany doing your research? How, how long were you actually in Germany looking at the documents? Well, well the, the Germany, like in Munich, had some fabulous archive that I was able to use. Uh, but, but for the first time, out of this is my fourth book, and for the first time, I had um, incredible um, uh, good fortune that in 1945, at the end of World War II, the U.S. Army captured uh, the what they call the Hauptarchiv, which is like this main Nazi files. Nazis were burning files, trying to get rid of it, but they couldn't burn everything. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, of thousands of just a massive archive that the army captured and brought back to the States. And it, they gave it back to Germany, uh, the whole thing. But they filmed it before they did. Wow. So for the first time ever, I was able to get like it, it, years of archival work before I even went to Munich. I've never had that before. I've always had to, okay, like Vienna, okay, let's go to Vienna or like in Sweden. Couple years there in Sweden for my first book, and then you know you didn't have that. This was this was a, was incredible. I mean, it was just like you know, micro is on microfilm, and, and 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 the police file. I mean, the Nazis had the you know, they were very interested in this time of the beer hall push and the trial, so they had you know the entire police. I mean, they basically took the Munich police files, and the, and the police had interviewed or interrogated. Everybody they get their hands on, you know, like young Himmler and Heinrich Hoffmann, who was the Hitler's photographer, um, 
you know, Rum, who's later, you know, killed during the, you know, Night of Long Knives with the, um, everybody could get their hands on a lot of other people too. And at all that, um, they searched the, the Nazi party offices, had that, and often this Munich police files. I mean, it was, so that gave, so that was wonderful. That was like years before we even got to Munich. There were probably, I forget how many archives there were in Munich now that I used, um, three or four, I think at least in Munich. Um, oh, like in, uh, like, and the, the the, the, the files were incredible. I mean, they had uh, like like Hitler's bodyguard, an unpublished memoir. And Hitler's bodyguard um, probably, or you know, maybe saved Hitler's life during the march because he gets all he gets all shot up. He jumps in front of Hitler and gets all shot up. And um, oh, the guy who's marching arm in arm with Hitler to the street and, and hit the guy in Hitler's arm gets shot. So wow. the, the bullet missed Hitler by a couple feet. And I got that guy's valet's memoir. No I published way. In the archives. Really? So it was like so I, all the inside me, people. Gold, all the inside wow. people. This is who you want. What's it I'm like? Sorry. Is it when you when you find something like that? Like what what do you experience? Like what goes through your head as you're seeing this? Oh, I I, I love that. That's my favorite part. Is I'm just looking for things and coming across things. So I got cool. another one like Hermann Goering. Um, he also gets shot during the, I mean, really nasty, he gets shot like in the groin and the, uh, the thigh area. I mean, just really, really, really bad. I mean, he, uh, his wife is, is Swedish, and she wrote all these letters back home to her family in Sweden. And so I got those too, because again, I um, spent some time in Sweden, so I was able to, oh, wow, I'll check this out. And it was like, it was just interesting when she would just describe, you know, how their, their, you know, the, yeah. Gary, you know, pacing the floor as the trial's getting ready to start, <laughs> um, you know, and because I mean, Gary got away. I mean, because she helped him. I mean, they, um, you know, they, they, they got him. And also a Jewish family helped Gary too. Really? It's a really, really nice Jewish family um, took him in, even though they, they knew he, he was the head of the stormtroopers, you know, these really um, kind of the hooligans who just liked to fight. He was trying to whip, very disorganized, he was trying to make a more like a military, even even here in 1923, and Goering was in charge of him. And um, this, uh, you know, very Jewish family takes him in um, and looks after his wound. Uh, 2020 and, hindsight, they wouldn't have done that yeah, right. for sure. And, and I, I kind of phoned to see what happened to him. I found him. Um, I mean, I I go through these goose, you know, these kind of rabbit hole, go down the rabbit hole, and I, you know. I, a lot of it just ends up getting cut. But I didn't. I think I didn't put that in the footnotes. Uh, but he, uh, the family, during later on, uh, he always claimed to help them. You know, when, when he got in power, and I was like, "Well, really? did he really?" Uh, I was a little skeptical. I was like, "Yeah, but he did." But he, um, it looks like he actually did. I mean, he actually he got them on the way on, on a uh, on a boat, and unfortunately, uh, the lady, her name is Bella. A lot of historians have her name wrong. They call her Ilsa, but maybe that's her maybe that's her name or something. But her real name is Bella, and um, and she 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 dies like in the World War Two on on the boat for somehow. So he actually but, uh, did. Now, can he, you? He did. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was. I was skeptical. Yeah, but he, he did. Fascinating. So when when you start the book, you say, okay, this is the basic thing. I'm gonna. This is sort of my general map of where I want to go. And then you land in Munich, and you, you're surrounded by all of this stuff. For example, like him helping this family. How 
do you sort of let the stories take you at that point or do you try and stick to like how, how do you do it like as a writer how do you follow this oh i i uh, I, I will throw out my plan <laughs> uh i throw it out all the time in fact this time this book I, I i didn't know where to begin so i just started writing and i, I threw it all out i threw out about 200 pages because um, I, I started when Hitler first came to Munich, um, and you know I, I was 200 pages in. We had we hadn't even gotten to the, you know, we barely got to 1923. I was like, okay, I'm running on the trial. Um, but then we got to the beer hall putsch, so I just this is not working. Cut, just cut it all out. But um, is it hard to let that go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you, you know you're writing. Next thing you, you know. Basically, okay, we're back on page one again. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, you, you I have... always console myself by saying, you know, it helps to just think it through, right. you know, just to understand it and find your story. Yeah, uh, and cause, you know, the, you can't be, you know, the publisher doesn't. They don't want a fifty thousand page book. <laughs> you know, they have unfortunately to be. everything you write they don't want. Right? It's <laughs> certain parts. Yeah, so you have to find I, the I best parts. On the, on the Vienna book too. The Vienna was the same way. I know it. I ended up cutting out, you know, probably about, probably about the same. Um, the Death of the City of Light, I, I knew exactly why I wanted to do that one starting. And if I, if I know, that, that, I kept that one. I didn't actually change. I, I toyed with it, but I didn't like how, I'm a, I'm a tinkerer. I'll tinker with it <laughs> do, over, you, and over and over and over and over. You, so you said you've written four books now. This last book was a five-year project, 2012, and it was published, I think, in June? or Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. so... So my question is, on your process, do you have to schedule time that you know you're going to be spending writing, researching? Do you do you, you know time block? How do you how do you do it? Well, I uh, I, I, I kind of do this for do this for fun anyway. So I don't really. I mean, I, I just kind of I, I like doing this. This is, I mean, uh, so I kind of just just when I get up and after I you know. Just kind of get get down and just start start writing. Um, and I'll start write. I'll, I'll usually read first for a while. I'll kind of take a little break. And I'm just reading widely, and then I'll then I'll, I'll kind of know. Okay, I'll kind of feel okay. Now it's time to write. I'll mm-hmm. just start writing at that point. Is and it- I'll write fast. I'll write fast. I can't just race to the end. And then I'll uh, <laughs> realizing that I'm going to have to rewrite everything. You know, I, I, I'll be re- rewriting everything anyway. So I just. I'll get a draft in a ridiculous fast time, and then I'll. Um, it's terrible. It's, I mean, it's, you can't really call it a draft first time. <laughs> and, so kinda, and you have how old are your kids? Uh, my daughter's going to be in eighth grade, and my son's going to be in fifth. Are they sure. history buffs by chance? My my son is Max. He's he's um he's very interested in. Um, Hitler and the Nazis. I mean, he has been since. I mean, they've grown up with this. Uh, you know, hearing about Gestapo and like the, you know, the secret state police and the. You know, they, they don't really know exactly what Death and City Light was about. They just know it's kind of um, you know bad. I mean, it's a bad guy. I mean, Max told me his name is Max. Um, I remember one time after I was reading Hitler book after Hitler book, he's like, "You know, Daddy, can't you read something nice for a change?" <laughs> so, I was like, "These kids are smart." <laughs> But, but my daughter, she's she's not really interested in history. I mean, she'll she'll listen and she likes right. it, but but you know, her, she's she likes animals and right. um, <laughs> other things like that. <laughs> but do they understand? So when you go to Munich, 
when you, you know, when you travel for this, have you, do they understand like how, and they're young still, but the significance of like what you're uncovering and, and what you're holding in your hand when you're reading it. Do, do they understand that? Yeah, like, like yeah. I, I know my kids when they were young probably wouldn't have. I'm just curious if they, I, I, I can't imagine what it feels like to come across something that really nobody knows about, nobody's seen before, and you're reading it. You're sitting there like like a treasure map. Like one leads to the next, to the next, to the next, and these are all just uncover, unraveling as you go through it. And I was curious if they understand that or, or if they even are aware of that. I think they do, yeah, because I will show them, like, I'll say, hey, do you want to see something? And, you know, they usually, they like that. When I say that, they'll be like, you know, it's, uh, like, well, I don't know, one time I had, like, Hitler's uh, signed contract for the first Mercedes he bought. And you know, you see his handwritten. It was like, here's a copy. It wasn't the real thing. It was just a copy. But, you know, and, you know, they can see, you know, the autograph, and they, they kind of, they like that. Um, and... I think so. I think to some extent they, um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about it. The, I think my first book, it's like in the 17th century, and I ended up getting like a first edition of the book that I was writing about. It's like uh-huh. from 1679. And so they, they, they like when I, you know, they like, they, they like looking at, at that one because it's, yeah. um, just, you know, it's, and I'll show it to their friends too if their friends are really interested in history. Um, and I, I did something by high school, like a like a reading thing. I, I brought the and they actually read my book that that first book I had, which on the seventeenth century. And so I brought the the original book in from sixteen seventy nine, and they they love that because it's just, you know you can see the you know the it's very very fragile <laughs> book. Who, who's your audience? Makes, makes it real. I think you know this. You know, Who's your audience? Who 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 do you find? Do you, is there a way for you to know who's buying your books, who's reading your books, who's interested in your topics? Uh, there probably is. I, I would like to know, but I, um, <laughs> I don't really. Um, the magic bullet. Yeah. I, uh, Secret sauce. I uh, I've uh, I get wonderful emails from people, and I I I, I do that. I I've actually this time I, I've been staying off. Uh, like uh, you know, the online um, like bookstore stuff. I, I'm too obsessive, so I'm actually seeing how long I can go without. Ch- I've not checked it one time, not one time. So I've, um, I, I, I kind of like that. I'm too obsessive. If I check it once, I'll check it a million times. So right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm gonna check like every minute. So, you see what numbers are I going. Missed out. I probably missed out by not doing that because I want mean, my website was down for like a week. I didn't even know it. I wasn't checking. Oh, no. so I was like, it's, it's like Sally Field. They like me. They really like me. <laughs> Well, I'm your audience. I, I could, I, I'm so excited about this. I can't even tell you everything. And it's like, like you see those movies, the national treasure, right? So one thing leads to the next thing leads to the next thing. Do you sometimes feel like you're sort of in that world? Like you're in the middle of Munich or you're in a foreign country and you're, you're, you're finding things that nobody even knows about. And then that leads to something else. It's so exciting to even hear you describe it. For example, like when the Catholic family, I mean, when the Jewish family helped them and they were then, you know, saved and you found out that it actually did happen, that they were sent on the boat and like that kind of story, like that's got to be so fascinating and so exciting as each puzzle piece sort of comes along. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I, I love that. I love that part of, of 
history because you just never know. And that's why I like looking at all these sources. You just never know what you're going to find. I mean, it's, it could be, you know, it could be anything. It could be nothing. It often is. You go down a lot of, you know, wrong turns. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, uh, but, but you never know. I mean, it's kind of fun to, I guess a little bit exciting. If it were always interesting or always boring, then it would be, you know, it'd be more predictable. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> because so, you never know. I right. Mean, it's like, oh, wow. I would think for kids too, or just even like my boys, like I can't wait to talk to them about this. And you, you learn the basics, like you learn everything in school and you learn all this. And then this comes up and it's like a, a movie. Like you could actually go in and watch this movie. And it's so exciting and it's so interesting and it sells so much. And that's what's so fascinating about history is that you can go back and it could take you so many places. Yeah. yeah I, I think with, um, with all the, I guess the story is one thing that the stories I like is that you really could not write these as fiction. I, I, I think, I don't think it because nobody believe you. I mean, they say you can't, cannot write this. You cannot, you cannot say that. I mean, like, like the serial killer one on the doesn't say liar. This, I mean, you know, he gets rich from his killings and it's just, um, I mean, he's just such a monster. Um, it just, it doesn't seem, you know, I, I could easily see an editor saying, "Tone it down. This is not believable." But <laughs> history's like that. It's like that's what makes it. That's why I love history. It's like you can't make. It's hard to make this up. I mean, you have to be very, very creative and kind of warped in some way <laughs> to make this up. I mean, cause it's just, um, do you have you know, an idea for your? Are, are you going to do another one, or do you have an idea for another one? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, I've started on one, um, and um, it's. I have another Hitler book in me, uh, but I, I, I want to take a break. It's a little, I'm going to take a, you know, much, I'm, I'm switching gears, um, just for, it's a shorter book, it won't, it's, uh, um, because it's, it's been about 10 years now with just, you know, the, the serial killer, and right. Paris, not talking about Paris, and now Hitler, and, um, and. Something lighter, maybe. It's fascinating, <laughs> it's very fascinating, but, I, you know, I, I have a, kind of a lighter one. Right. Um, take a little break um, just you know to keep, keep things fresh but it's like a, it's from the seven, 1970s actually really <laughs> yeah and it's a, oh it's so cool it's a bank robbery um, that um, this guy goes in to rob a bank and they a true story and it's in Stockholm Sweden and he takes hostages and they spend six days in a vault Oh my god! <laughs> and there's never been a book, and so we, I'm almost done. I, I, got, I have a draft on this, so it's but I'm you know tinkering with it, and making it better. Uh, but it's, um, it's this is what gives rise to the Stockholm syndrome. Really? No, that's yeah. This is when they coined the Stockholm syndrome. So uh, all right, I think you're like my family. Like, I want to read every single thing you do ever, ever, ever. I can't believe oh, you guys. Uh, we have one minute left, David. I'm so bummed. All right, for those of you out there, again, we've just spent the most amazing time with David King, best-selling author, most recently of The Trial of Adolf Hitler, The Beer Hall Putsch, and The Rise of Nazi Germany. David, what's the best way for people, including myself, to get the book? Oh, um, I'd say your, your favorite, favorite bookstore, favorite bookstore in town, or um, online, favorite, okay. favorite bookstore online, or... I, and oh. anyone who's listened to tonight, I can't imagine that you're not immediately right now getting the book. It is fascinating. It's interesting. 
it's a suspense and most importantly it's real it's actual history it's it's unbelievable David, you're amazing. I can't thank you enough for coming on. I hope you come back again. I could talk about this forever. Now I'm so excited about the Stockholm Scale. Like, I can't wait for that book now. Um, everyone, thank you all for listening tonight. And uh, we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Thank you. My thank pleasure. you, David. Thank you, Kathy, my great co-host tonight. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, Conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212 206 